It is so good to be here to see you all. And um, just, you know, we're in this series called Ask It, where we're looking at these questions. We looked at the first week, we looked at the greatest question that you could ever ask, the question that answers everything, which is it wise? Is this a wise thing for me to do? Uh, And then last week we looked at the question that everyone's asking deep down, if they're honest, does God really know me? Does God really know me? And if he knows me, does he love me? And is he interested in my life? Uh, We're going to look at something else this morning, which is a difficult subject to look at, but so important. We're going to look at the questions that we're afraid to ask. The questions that we're afraid to ask. And you know, there are some questions that we're afraid to ask, and there are some questions that we should be afraid to ask. There are some questions we should never ask. You know that, don't you? (laughs) Women, you never ask these questions. Guys, listen up. You never ask these questions to women. How old are you? You just don't ask it. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the villa and um, I had some tickets to go into the uh, st- uh, players' lounge and to meet some of the team. Um, and there was a little lad uh, in the church who I knew was there, who's a mad villa fan. He's only six years of age. He's a mad villa fan. My heart goes out to him. He is destined for a life of misery. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I, set, I got him in and we went into to, to the lounge and he was so excited with his autograph book waiting for the players to come in and we were standing uh, waiting and I was chatting to this lady who was, who was hosting the lounge okay, and giving out programs and just helping people and we were chatting and I said to her, how, old, uh, how long have you worked here? And she said, 35 years, to which this little lad, just his ears pricked up and he looked at me and said, 35 years, that's older than my mom and dad. Don't ask that question. So you never ask that question to a woman. You also, gentlemen, you never ask, are you wearing that tonight? You never ask that one, neither. That's dangerous. You never ask, how much longer till you're ready, darling? I ask that a lot. Are you wearing makeup? You never ask that question, neither, okay? And apparently, according to Google, the question you never ask a man is, what are you thinking? Because he's he's probably not, okay? (laughs) Thinking much. (laughs) But, But when it... (laughs) <laughs> when it comes to faith, when it comes to faith and the issue of questions, this is an intriguing one. And maybe this morning you're not a Christian. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And you've got loads of questions like, how do you know there's a God? And are you serious? And, and all kinds of stuff. But maybe you are a Christian and you still have questions. And maybe even questions that you're afraid to ask. And the interesting thing is this week I read some research that suggests that Muslims are least likely to doubt than any other faith. And it made me think about that. And I thought, but do you know what? If you remove all questions, if there's no place for doubt, maybe there's no place for faith either. C.S. Lewis was um, uh, the guy that not only wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Narnia stuff, but he was a really brainy guy at Oxford. He was an atheist, then he became a Christian. He wrote incredible books about Christianity. Um, But he was a really intelligent thinking man. And he said this, Now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked very probable. And you see, the question question of questions and doubt and faith are really important. Because if you take all the questions out, if you remove the, the possibility of doubt, you don't actually need faith. You don't actually need faith. And I want to suggest to you folks that whether you say you're a Christian or not a Christian, questions are a part of life. And if there were no questions, there would be no need for faith. Now, doubt is not the same as unbelief. 
The Bible's clear about that. Doubt uh, is not the same as unbelief. Unbelief is when you make a decision that you choose you're not going to believe. Doubt is when you're just not sure. You've just got questions. You're double-minded is what the original word means. And I love this that I read this week. When people of faith are not willing to sit quietly sometimes and let doubt make its case, bad things can happen. When we're not willing to create a space where we can let doubt make its case, bad things can happen. The Bible says that doubt can be dangerous, but it also, I believe, says that doubt can be necessary because without doubt, there can be no faith by definition. If I was sure of everything, I would need no faith. Doubt is important. Now today, if you're not a believer, we are really glad that you're here. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you wouldn't say you're a Christian, we're glad you're here. This is a church that really welcomes people to come and to hang out with us and be a part of our community and part of our family and part of our journey. And you might not believe any of the stuff that we believe. That's absolutely fine. In fact, last year we did a whole series where we looked at what Jesus said to many people. And and he used the same phrase. He'd often say, come follow me. Some of the people he spoke to didn't even believe in God. And he still said, come follow me. And you see, what Christians often think is that you have to believe certain things and behave certain ways, and then you can follow Jesus. But that's religion. What Jesus says is, follow me, and then you'll come to believe certain things and behave certain ways, but not the other way around. And actually, we run a course called the Alpha Course, which is a space that we create on a Monday night. We run it for about eight weeks. It's, it's in process at the moment. It's not too late if you want to be a part of that. And we have a meal together, and then we create some space where, where we share some ideas and thoughts with you. And then you can discuss whatever questions that you want. But you know, when you become a Christian, there can be a thought that then all the questions will go. So like when I wasn't a Christian, I had loads of questions about faith. But now I am a Christian, I am a follower, I've got no questions. How many of you know that's not true? And there are some questions that we are afraid to even ask. And you know, there was a guy in the Bible who came to a place in his life where he asked questions that other people were maybe afraid to even admit they had. Jesus describes this guy as the greatest man who ever lived. He was a man of great courage and guts who eventually died for his beliefs and it died for his convictions. Now press the pause button. What is a conviction? What does it mean to have convictions, to have beliefs, convictions? I want to suggest there are three kinds of convictions. Firstly, there are public convictions. These are things that I want you to believe or that I believe. Okay, I want you to think that I believe certain things. They're public convictions. I want other people to think I believe them. For instance, if my wife asks me, does this dress make my hips look big? What's the right answer, gentlemen? The correct answer is hips, darling. What hips? I never even realized you had hips till you just mentioned them. That is the correct answer, gentlemen. Is that the belief that I really hold? Of course it is. She's on the front row. And you see... (laughs) When we do that, when we kind of want people to believe certain things that we believe, that's not a conviction. That's a public conviction. And there's a modern word for it called truthiness. It's a modern word now in the dictionary. It's like it's a little bit truth, but it's kind of truthiness. It's a public conviction. Then secondly, there are private convictions. These are convictions I sincerely think I believe, but actually I may not. This is important. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, You see, see, we all say, oh yeah, this is my conviction, I really believe this. But in certain circumstances, maybe we don't. 
You see, the Apostle Peter said to, uh, to Jesus, you know, I'm going to stick with you. I'm, I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to turn away. And Jesus said, actually, Peter, tonight, before the cockerel crows three times, you'll deny me. But no way will I do that. It was his conviction that he wouldn't deny Jesus. But it was a private conviction that when the circumstances changed, so did his conviction. And so I want to suggest to you folks this morning that it may be that we need to examine our own convictions at times and say, do I really believe this or do I believe it when the circumstances are right? When the circumstances of life are good, then I believe it. But maybe if circumstances change, maybe I wouldn't. So you didn't get that house you wanted and you didn't get that job you wanted You didn't get that relationship you wanted. And that thing that you didn't want to happen, happened. Where are your convictions then? Because many of us have convictions that we hold privately, but actually they change when circumstances change. But you know there is a third area of convictions. There's public, what I want you to think I believe. There's private, what I think I believe, but actually really don't. And then there are core convictions. And these are convictions which are revealed not by what we say, but by what we actually do. You know, it's really easy to be spiritual and in your mouth and talk a really good game about how spiritual you are. I know people like that. And yet spirituality is not defined by talking a good game. It's defined by how we live our lives. And our core convictions are revealed by what we do, not by what we say. So I say I trust God, but do I by the way I handle my money and my possessions? I say I love God, but do I by the choices I make and my responses to life? I say he is the number one, but is he by what I actually do in my life? James in James chapter 2 in the New Testament says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Core convictions are things we passionately believe and they demonstrate themselves by the way in which we live our life. So let's go back to our guide, John the Baptist. Now, what he was doing is he was out in the desert. He was preaching about the kingdom of God. He was pointing people to Jesus. And the power broker of the day, the powerful superpower, uh, King Herod, didn't like it. And so he ended up arresting John, putting him in prison. Eventually, John is going to die for his convictions. But in that prison, he comes to a moment of real honesty, real vulnerability, where he asks the questions that maybe he was afraid to ask. Maybe the questions that some of us wouldn't even admit we've got. And here it is in Matthew 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him. And this is the question that they asked him. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So just back it up. Imagine what it was like for this man of the desert, this man of the wide open spaces to be in a prison cell with four narrow walls. And what he's saying is, I don't know how long he was there. I haven't researched that bit. I don't know how long he was there. But he comes to a point when he asks a question to Jesus. And the question really is this, Jesus, did I get it wrong? Did I put all my eggs in the wrong basket? I followed you. I served you. I, did, I gave you. I did all of this. And here I am in a prison going nowhere. Did I get it wrong? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And I wonder how many of us, if we're really honest, have ever asked that kind of question. God, are you really there? God, do you really care? God, can you do something about it? God, have I got it wrong? Are you not the one? Is there someone else? Have I been looking in the wrong place? Massive question, really important question. 
And when it comes to faith, we all have these kind of questions. If not now, at some point in your life, you will. Okay? So if you sat there this morning thinking, what are you on about? I haven't got any of those kind of deep questions. You will at some point in your life, if you're really honest. And I think that whether you're a believer or not, our questions about God, even our doubts about God, they come from three main areas. Firstly, they come from evidence. You know, why God don't you just make it easier for us to get it? Have you ever thought that? You know, why God do you have to make it so mysterious at times? Why can't you just prove, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're who you said you are and this is how you did it? Why can't you write it on the wall? Why can't you write it in the sky? I'm corresponding at the moment with a young guy in a church in Albania who's desperately asking about ministry and future. And, and I keep trying to say to him, just, you know, stick in with God and serve and blah, blah, blah. And, and then he says, yeah, but I want to know exactly what God wants to do. I want to make it concrete. And I want to say, yeah, but then you wouldn't need faith. And then you wouldn't have a journey of getting to know God. And, you know, sometimes God chooses not to act like that for our good. But it can create difficulty for us. It reminds me of a story of a girl called Agnes. She came to Jesus as a teenager, was passionate about him. In fact, she felt God called her to leave her country and to give her life to him as a missionary. And she did that. But not long after she left her country, she ended up um, in a place where she served God all the way through her life. But she ended up saying, there were times when I prayed that I couldn't even know whether God was there or not. And she writes about it very honestly and openly. Even though she had a massive core conviction that led her to serve in the way she did, there were moments when God seemed quiet for her. And she asked questions about the evidence. Why, God, don't you do and say this? Her name was Agnes. You'd probably know her better as Teresa, Mother Teresa. And you know, if you have questions about the evidence of God, don't stick it down. Don't push it down. Ask it. God may not give you the answers you want, but he'll meet you as you ask the question. The second area is the area of example. Why aren't Christians better advertisements for God? Anyone ever thought that? Anyone ever had anybody say this to you? And you call yourself a Christian? Anyone? I had that yesterday. Yesterday, here, an altercation outside with someone about parking. And um, the person was very aggressive with me. Very, very aggressive. And... um, finger in my chest and and then when he came to the line and you call yourself a Christian do you know what I wanted to say in this moment mate no and I wanted to (laughs) but I didn't I didn't I resisted (laughs) and maybe you've had this you know I never expected that from a Christian and worse still from a pastor if this is what Christians are like I'm not sure I want to be one or if this is what Christians are like, I'm not sure I want to I wanna know one. I'm not sure I want to know your God if that's what you're like. You know, we get disillusioned with other Christians. And the reason is we have illusions in the first place. We have these illusions that just because someone's a Christian or a leader, okay, then somehow they're, they're not human and they're not flawed and they're not weak and they're not sinful and they're not hypocritical. We all are all of that, aren't we? That's the reality. But there's a darker side to this question. And, and, and if you've not got faith this morning, then you'll have asked this question. Yeah, but you say that, but, but look at all the horrible things that have happened in history in the name of Christianity. And so the, you'll talk about the Inquisition, and you'll talk about the Crusades, and, the, uh, and slavery, and the subjugation of women. And there are really big, important issues. But I want to ask you a question. Ask this. Are those horrible things the outcome of Jesus' teaching or the violation of it? 
So are those things that we've witnessed in history the outcome of the teaching of Jesus or are they actually the violation of the teaching of Jesus? Who taught that we should love our enemies, that we should forgive those that persecute us, that we should turn the other cheek, that should we go the extra mile, that we should seek to be peacekeepers, not violence bringers? So when you look at the teaching of Jesus, it is so different to those things that we've seen in history. But here's another question for you. Has the human race done better where it's tried to take out faith and even religion than when it it had it in? Has it done better? You think of Russia under Stalin, or China under Chairman Mao, or Cambodia under Pol Pot. Atheistic societies tried to take God out. Have they done better in terms of living together? My suggestion would be no, they haven't. And you know, I just do wonder whether maybe one of the greatest proofs of the existence of God is that he continues to survive year after year, even though you and I are often so poor at representing him as he really is. Author Evelyn Waugh, who I called a woman this morning, was actually a man at the the first service. Uh, He was a Catholic and someone asked him, how can you call yourself a Catholic when you you are so badly behaved, so mean and such a jerk? To which he replied, just imagine me if I weren't a Catholic. (laughs) It's a great answer. There are times in our lives when questions come because of the example of other believers. Ask it. Ask it. You might not get all the answers you want, but you will meet God. And then the third area, and this is the biggie. This is circumstances. Why is there so much pain in the world? And not only why is there so much pain in the world... But why is there so much pain in my life? And some of you are asking that this morning. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you are. Maybe your question is actually even more profound. Because you're saying, but I am a believer. And I don't get why there's so much pain in my my life. You know, I thought back as I'm preparing this. And I want to be really honest with you. I I thought, this, this is John's question, isn't it? This is John's question in the prison. God, I loved you, I served you, I followed you, and here I am in prison. Why would you allow this to happen? And then I look back over the 20 years or so that I've been here, and I thought about an instance which I'd forgotten totally about, but I hadn't been here very long. I was in my mid-20s, and um, I was working in one of the offices over here. There was hardly any staff at the time, uh, just in the church, because we were smaller then. And I heard on the radio about the Dunblane Massacre. Remember that? It was nearly 20 years ago. And I remember going out, uh, of, my office was over there where the photocopier is actually now. And I went down the stairs and I went out into my car on the front. And I remember getting into the car, I was about 26, 27, and I shut the door and I banged the steering wheel time after time after time. And I said, God, why could you not have stepped in and saved some of those kids? Why didn't you do that? And then I remember hearing the news of a death of a child in this church. I remember where I was and saying, God, why could you not have stopped that happening? And then a few years ago, I was in a coffee shop in America and I had a message come through on my computer uh, telling me of the murder of a friend of mine in Albania outside the church where he was the pastor. And then, and then the time when I, I had a phone call early in the morning from the hospital saying, your dad is about to go. You need to get in as quick as you can. And then that time... In, a, in, an office where, in, a, in a hospital office where a doctor told me and my wife that our youngest son had special needs and that he wouldn't ever be able to look after himself the rest of his life. And then fast forward it to the moment, which I still remember, a defining moment for us when we looked at each other and we said, you know what, we can't cope with this any longer. We need to ask social services to help because we can't do it on our own. 
and eventually he ended up in residential care. And when I look back at those moments, I thought there were moments there just over my life where I've asked this kind of question, God, are you there? Do you care? Are you going to do anything about it? Why don't you do anything about it? And I was reading this week of a man who lost his 25-year-old son who died in a climbing accident. And the man said this, I came to see tears, a weeping God suffering over my suffering. I had not realized that if God loves the world, God suffers. I had thoughtlessly supposed God loved without suffering. I knew that divine love was the key, but I had not realized that the divine love that is the key is a suffering love. And you know, I have to say this, my experience is this, personally and looking around the world, some of what happens in life, in my life and in your life and in others' lives, makes no sense at all, okay, even though you're a Christian. But without God, it makes even less sense. And so I ask the questions, I might not get the answers I want, but I always meet God. And I want to say this morning, if you ask it, you will meet God. You will meet God. You may not get the questions that you want, or that, you, or that you feel you need, but you will get to meet God. And you know, several years ago, one of my friends, a guy in his church, went on a whole journey, really, of being a Christian for a long time and a leader, having doubts that he suppressed for a long time, finally being honest about those doubts and questions that led him to a place away from faith in God. But then God did something, and there was a turn. And we want to tell you that story this morning because we believe that there will be many of you in this room and you'll identify with bits of this story and maybe even a word maybe you say well I'm not a Christian you'll identify with it but if you are a Christian you will definitely identify with this for sure and our hope and prayer is that what happened to him could happen to you it will be a completely different thing because everyone's unique but if you ask it you will meet God Hi, I'm Russ. Um, I became a Christian in late 1989, just as I was finishing my uni degree. Um, I was invited to church uh, by a friend of mine at uni, um, and I ended up uh, meeting my wife at the church I went to in Netherton, uh, and we got married in 92. Uh, And then, cut a long story short, we ended up at Zion Christian Centre. My church experience was uh, a very busy one. Um, We were both able to serve um, in the in the worship team because we're both musicians uh, we eventually took on the youth work um, and everything was going very very well um, during uh, probably my last summer leading the youth um, I started to have some serious doubts about my beliefs I remember the one day coming to a head after a Sunday and I remember mentioning to Leon saying uh, can I have a word with you for a moment I really don't think I believe anymore Uh, I'm really struggling with my faith. Um, And you know, that was the first time I'd owned up to it. I think part of the problem was that I was was pressing pressing the problem down. I stopped coming to church. Um, I felt like a lot of things had mounted up pressure on my life from a lot of different angles. Things that happened with my job, um, mine and Jan's relationship was, was rocky at the time as well. Um, and the pressure I felt with my doubts consuming me was very, very tangible and pretty much destroyed me. I had uh, what I'd probably call a nervous breakdown. Um, I got very, very depressed. 
Certain people kept in touch with me the whole time, which I'm very, very thankful for. Uh, but all I used to talk to them about was my doubts and started picking away at the very thing I'd believed for 20 years before. Uh, I felt like I'd taken some sort of religious glasses off. I remember labelling myself on my Tumblr blog as a recovering ex-Christian. But there's one thing that I tried to do and I used to say to myself for the whole experience that I was being honest with myself at any given point. But that being honest with myself actually turned on its head after a few years um, because I, I started to realise that um, I was missing something very important. I kept coming to the Christmas events at church uh, and I always remember leaving those events feeling like I'd experienced something but then it's slipping away again. I remember going out for a walk the one night um, and something I never do particularly is put my earphones on and listen to a podcast. Leon spoke from a passage from Mark 4 where it talks about um, Jesus and the disciples getting into a boat and travelling across a lake to another region uh, and a storm came up on the lake and the disciples feared for their lives um, but Jesus was asleep in the corner of the boat with his head on a cushion and the disciples had to wake Jesus up in order for him to calm the storm and, and Jesus said to the disciples where's your faith? You have no faith my whole life had been based on fear for at least the 12 months before that. And I remember listening to that podcast thinking, God is speaking directly to me. Um, but I'm not even sure I believe in God, so I don't, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> um, I'd owned up to my doubts, and now I've got to own up to believing again. <laughs> Throughout all my doubts, and my whole breakdown and my depression and then coming out the other side of that how God had been asleep in this boat and he'd never left me I remember telling Leon this and him being amazed by what that had meant um, and so I drove home that night and I remember praying in the car for the first time in years and saying to God how does a person wake God up it's like, how do you do that? And it's like God said to me, just the slightest inclination that you showed me, the slightest turn of your heart back towards me, that was enough. Losing my faith was like a bereavement, um, but finding it again was something else. I likened it to being completely lost and not recognising anything around you and then suddenly stumbling across your own front door. And because you recognise that, you know you're home. It's been almost a year now since I've been coming back to church and everything seems very new and exciting again. Uh, it's great to be back. Um, I've been slowly getting myself involved in volunteering again. Um, I'm really enjoying being involved in the worship team. I feel like I really have come home. People have said to me, you know, it's great to see you back, Russ. And I can honestly say with all my heart, yes, it is good to be back. 
Um, I'm really enjoying it because my relationship with God just seems so different. So maybe this morning you have questions that you were afraid to ask. Maybe that you haven't even admitted to yourself. Or maybe you're carrying some burdens or some sorrows or some hurts. I just want to say to you, come as you are. Come as you are. Don't do that whole thing that says, if I could get all this sorted out, all this answered, all this healed, then I could come to God. Because God is like that, saying, for goodness sake, why don't you come as you are? Because I'm the only one that can help you. And how do you ask questions that are hard to ask? How do you ask questions that you're afraid to ask? Well, let me tell you, firstly, you do it like Russ did it. You do it with honesty. You do it with honesty. So you don't press it down. You don't pretend. You do it with honesty. But if you're going to be honest about your doubts and questions, you have to also be honest, like Russ was, about believing. You have to be honest about what God's done and doing in your life. You have to be honest about what you're seeing and experiencing. You know, because when you see that, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, but that's circumstance. I'm honest about my doubts, but I'm not honest about where I see faith. No, if you're going to be honest, make it consistent. You know, I uh, read a story this week about a guy called Bill Moore who murdered somebody in the States years ago, over $5,000, was sent to prison, given a life sentence, a death sentence. The death sentence was commuted to life sentence. And while he was in prison, someone witnessed him about Jesus and he became a Christian. He then started to write to the family of the people he killed and there was forgiveness that developed over years and eventually he served his time and he was released from prison. He became the pastor of a church and someone sat him down once and said, how was it that you changed your life so completely? Was it good rehab, which is really important, can I say? He said, no. Was it good counselling, which is really important? He said, no. He said, well, how was it? He said, it was Jesus Christ. That was it. And you see... You've got to ask yourself a question. Yes, you have doubts. Yes, there are questions. But when you see God transforming a life, when you see God at work, you've got to be honest about that as well. And say, how can you explain that other than God? So ask it with honesty. But then secondly, ask it with vulnerability. You know, I know a lot of people, and Christians can get like this, who, who they just want to question everything. They don't really want an answer. They don't really want to connect with God. They just want to question everything. And there are sometimes people that you meet who aren't Christians and actually there's not a real desire. They just want to question everything. That's okay, but you're never going to meet God kind of like that unless there's a vulnerability. In fact, I came in the office to work on Friday. And as I walked into the office, a lady turned around from the church and she says, do you think plate tectonics were part of the fall? That was a nine o'clock on a Friday morning. And I said, ah, you're leading Alpha today, aren't you? That's obviously an Alpha question. And, And those questions are great and really important. But vulnerability means that if I ask a question in honesty, I am actually open enough to receiving something from God. I'm not just there to push back and push back and push back, but my hands are open that, you know, God, if you're there and if you are interested and if you can meet me, I am open enough that I want to receive from you as well. So we ask it with honesty, we ask it with vulnerability, and then thirdly, you've got to ask the best person, and that's God himself. You see, I think John, when he was in prison, when he sent his disciples to go see Jesus and ask him the question, he did the right thing. He went to God to ask the question, didn't he? And then interestingly enough, Jesus didn't give him a theological explanation of why he was in prison. 
He just said, tell John this. Tell John what you see me doing and who I really am. And so when John got the answer, he then said, okay, I get it now. I don't understand why I'm in prison. I may never understand that, but I do understand who you are, God, and that's enough for me. So when you ask a question to the right person with honesty and vulnerability, you may not get all the answers that you want, but you'll meet God. And I'll tell you what, guys, when you meet God, the burden that goes, the care that goes, the sorrow, there is no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. I can't tell you the amount of times when I've asked God about Simeon or about other situations and I've not had an adequate answer, all right? But I've met God. And the sorrow that heaven, you know, it can touch and the grace that you can experience and the God that you can encounter in the middle of that is breathtaking. So what we want to do this morning is we want to give you an opportunity to make that slightest inclination towards God that Russ spoke about. You know, when Russ told me that story, we had a drink together at a pub. It was on a Friday night. I remember it very well because we were sat up a corner with our Coca-Cola. It was. I was driving. And the interesting thing was there was us two like middle-aged bald guys sat up a corner in the table of a pub. He's telling me, about when God woke up on the inside of him. After that inclination to turn towards him, I'm in tears, he's in tears. It was a very weird looking scene to anybody else, okay? But, but that moment of, God, you're so amazing that when you ask something in honesty and vulnerability to the right person, you'll meet God. You'll meet God. And our prayer for you this morning is that maybe some of us this morning could make that decision, that slightest inclination, that slightest turn towards God. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? So what I'm going to do, in a moment, we're going to sing that song together. song that Gemma sang just so beautifully. We're going to sing it together. And we're going to invite some of you, if you want us to pray for you, to come to the front and we'll pray for you. We won't ask you loads of questions and we won't get all weird. But we just want to pray for you that maybe today you could lay some of those burdens down. You could lay some of those cares down. You could lay some of those questions or those doubts down and you could meet God again. But before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity, every single one of you, to make that slightest inclination towards God. So what I'm going to ask is that we all just close our eyes for a moment. Because this isn't about you coming out to the front. I'm going to give you that opportunity in a moment. And you may not want to do that, but I don't want to move from here without giving every person a moment of decision to say, I choose to make the slightest inclination towards God. You may not believe in God, and you may not even be saying that you believe in God now, but you're saying, I am making an inclination. I am turning the slightest amount towards God. And if that's you, I'm going to pray for you that that turn that you make today will be the start of something amazing in your life. So if that's you, I'd like you just to put your hand up so that you know you've responded. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. You're making that move towards God right now. Thank you all around this place. Amazing. Anybody else? God, I want to thank you for these folks that are reaching their hand out just to say that they are turning towards you. God, would you come now? Would you run towards them like I know you are? And would you meet them? And would you bring them peace? And would you bring them hope? And would you bring them joy and the power of your spirit? Because you're an amazing God and we love you so much. 
why don't we stand together? And as we sing, if there's anyone and you want us to pray for you this morning, you know, I just really sense that there are some of us and, you know, God really spoke to you through that video and through that song. And you've got those cares and those burdens. Please, you know, it's no good leaving them at the door, coming in, picking them up and carrying them out. God says, come as you are, leave it with me. Don't carry it out with you. So we would love to pray with you for a moment as we sing this song. So if that's you, I'd really encourage you to respond this morning. Thanks, guys. You know, one of the things I love about the story of Thomas in the Bible is that he had doubts as well. We call him Doubting Thomas because everyone else saw Jesus resurrected and he wasn't there. But the Bible says a week later, he was still with them. So, so, so you see, what, what happens often is that when we have doubts or questions, we disconnect from community. We stop going to church. We stop worshipping. We pull away. It's kind of like the worst thing you can do. I know sometimes you have to do that. That's what Russ did. He went right away before God could reach him. I get that. But if you're in those early stages of having doubts and questions, don't disconnect. Don't stop coming to church. Don't take yourself out. Because you see, Thomas kept in. And then a week later, Jesus met him. You see, and if, if Jesus had come back again and he, and he wasn't there again, He'd have missed out again, but because he stayed connected in and he stayed open and he was moving towards God, even though he had all these doubts and questions, Jesus met him. So I want to tell you, it's okay to have some struggles. It's okay to have some doubts. Keep moving towards God. Keep opening up to his love. His love eventually will get you. It really will. And it will change everything. Amen. So we're going to finish by singing about his great love for us. His great love for us. And whether you you know, haven't got any doubts and questions right now, that's great. Then you celebrate in God's love. But if you have, if you're in that place that's tough, lift up your face. You know, that song says, all who are broken, lift up your face. Do you know what? We're all broken. You might not feel like it at the moment, but we're all broken. Let's all lift up our heads this morning and let's sing about the great, fantastic grace and mercy of our Lord today. How He loves us.